This episode of the Stuyvesant Podcast is sponsored by Crimson Education. Are you a Stuyvesant student or parent who aspires to stand out in high school and study at top universities? Do you want access to the best mentors, strategists, and admissions experts to help forge your path to your dream university? With Crimson Education, you get strategic admissions support, essay guidance and editing, and leadership mentoring to help you discover your passions, to develop lifelong skills and build a strong high school profile. Crimson students are three times as more likely to get into their dream schools than those applying alone. Crimson gives you the best resources and technology-driven tools to guide your dream university acceptance. Visit crimsoneducation.org or watch one of their videos at youtube.com slash crimsoneducation. Enjoy the rest of the episode. Hey guys, welcome back to the Stuyvesant Podcast. I'm Alan. And I'm Aaron. And today we have our spectator editor-in-chiefs. Yes. Uh, yeah. Pleasure uh, to be here. I'm Artem. Hi, I'm Amy. Yes. And truly, it's a pleasure to have you guys on. Thank you. Um, how you guys been? Well, thank you. Things are going well. It's senior year, but I'm chugging along almost kind of over the hill, you know? Yeah. So, I mean that in a good way, of course. <laughs> I mean, I'm excited for the podcast. Um, I mean, being listed in the same kind of... Um, list as, you know, Miss Dusan. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, like, Mr. Friends. I think it's big shoes to fill. But, honestly, I'm, like, really excited to talk about a spectator. I think a lot of students don't know exactly what goes on inside a spectator outside of the members who write. And even then, they don't see what's going on in the um, spec class that we have every single day and 10th period. Um, so, any questions you guys have about yeah, that? Yeah, definitely. We'll yeah, so let's, like, break that down piece by piece. Yeah, you know I mean, mean, just to start off, like, when we started the podcast initially, I mean, I was a big fan of The Spectator, and it was kind of like a motivation for us to do it, you know, seeing how good reporting is done at our school. So, you know, it was definitely an influence on us. But um, I guess we could start off with the first question. So how long have you guys been with The Spectator? I've been here since my second semester of freshman year. I first joined as an opinions writer, and since then I've kind of taken the quickest path to the top, you could say. I've spent two semesters as a writer. I became editor at the during the second semester, the first semester of my sophomore year, and then I spent all the way through my first semester junior year as the opinions editor. And after that, I was fortunate enough to be elected to editor in chief, and I've been there ever since. And my term ends in approximately two months, which is a shame, but we've achieved a lot, and I'm very happy with how things have gone. And I've been very lucky to have the career that I've had in spec. I would. As a freshman, I would never have imagined that I'd find myself sitting here in three years' time. Yeah. My path here has been, it's really similar to Artem's. Um, I also went to the interest meeting second semester of my freshman year. So you can say that first semester of freshman year is like really miserable um, just because I didn't, I wasn't involved in a lot of clubs at the time. Um, but yeah, I became an editor, I think, during my. It's been so long. Um, but yeah, I've been here since second semester of freshman year, so it's been a while. Yeah. Believe it or not, I actually got, I applied for a semester freshman year for opinions and I got rejected. I remember I wasn't very happy about that. I even made a Facebook post with my application in it. <laughs> and I think the fact that since then I've kind of, I guess you could say I've bounced back to say the least. And I would say that the fact that I reapplied after being called, quote, not nuanced enough by the editors at the time, I still remember their feedback because I messaged them angrily as a first semester freshman. You could imagine how that went. But the fact, like, 
that I've been able to reestablish myself and kind of come back after that, I think is a good story. And I'd encourage anyone, I know SPEC could sometimes be a very selective institution and we pride ourselves on that. But at the same time, if you're passionate about journalism, we encourage you to apply and keep applying because we're a place for people who have commitment and who have talent. And I believe that even if you don't make it on your first try, every year as you take more English classes, as you grow and as you get older, I think you become a better writer and your chances increase. So I'd encourage you to reapply and maybe you have the same career that I did, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, so I guess like with any project, you know, getting in is one thing and that's like a good, a big accomplishment, but also staying there and kind of like building on your work. Probably you guys have maybe changed a lot in your style of writing or what you choose to write about. Like take us into how how that how you've evolved throughout the years as a spec writer. Interestingly enough, um, only one of my articles got published when I was a writer, um, and I and I'm very proud of that article. But as you kind of like climb through the ranks, so becoming a writer and then an editor and the editor in chief, you find that there are just fewer obstacles in your way to kind of say whether or not your article should get published. So in that sense. Sometimes your writing doesn't get better only because um, you are now the person who gets to say yes or no to the article. Um, but I think just being a writer for such a long time makes you aware of just how you can improve, um, even if you don't get the approval of other people. Um, when when I was a writer, my editors told me that my writing was pretty fluffy, which I think, so I came from features. When you're telling the story of other people, you t- sometimes do get to tend to be a little bit fluffy, you want to portray them in a good light um, because they trust that you uh, will write their story well. Um, but I think I've been pretty good at receiving feedback, and it just made me more aware of the amount of fluffiness in my writing, I guess. I'd say that I've significantly improved as a writer over my time here, and I'd say that the same is probably true for most people. If not because of a like a, it's if not because it's a function of experience, as in you write more and you learn how to write better, it's also a function of the fact that you work with excellent people. I, I was fortunate enough to join Opinions at a time when Eliza Spina was the editor, and later on I had the time to work with her as co-editor. And I feel that the fact that she was the one editing my work and always giving such fantastic feedback and excellent like kind of critique really helped move me as a writer because as much as I think, like many writers, I take pride in my work. It's also good to sometimes get checked in your pride and also have somebody tell you that you need to do this better or this is not good enough. Sometimes some kind of even some harsh criticism can go a long way towards making you better. And I think that the fact that my editors are so talented and they really balanced kind of harsh criticism with positive commentary that encouraged me to keep going really helped me develop. And the fact that not only as a writer but as an editor-in-chief, I've been able to work with people beyond just Eliza, who've also really helped me learn, has made me a lot better in many different ways. Yeah. But also, like, when you're editor-in-chief, or even when you're an editor, when you have so many more responsibilities, you don't find a time to write as much. That's the one thing I wish I'd done more during my term here. Um, I think writing grounds you. um, It makes you connect, you know, more in touch with what's going on in the world. Um, but I think that's what draws a lot of people who are interested in the writing departments to spec, because when they see their work getting published every two weeks or so, um, they feel proud, proud, even if that article doesn't pertain or entertain a lot of, um, a lot of people, 
it's still a really good feeling to have your work published somewhere um, that the entire school can see. Um, so I, I understand that. So and I wish I did that more because I think writing just such a good way to keep in touch with yourself and just stabilize yourself in this environment. I do think that's true. As in somebody like who, when you move up the ranks of the spectator, you do get more work, especially bureaucratic work, like organizing your department as an editor, leading meetings, editing other people's articles being the most obvious example. But I do also think that there's merit to learning from other people's work beyond just constantly editing and improving your own articles. The fact that I've read articles and actually been had to kind of critic critically analyze other people's work has also made me better because beyond just looking at my own writing how I can make it better I looked at other people's writing what they did wrong what they did well and learned how to be better based off of that and I think that continues throughout your time as editor and editor-in-chief and I think although I've not written too many articles I believe I've written three as an editor and editor-in-chief and I think that you could see that, that there's been a marked improvement between those articles and the ones I wrote as a writer. And that's also not only because I, I'm older and I've taken more English classes and so on, but also because I've been an editor who's also been like really edited hundreds of articles and se seen what works, seen what doesn't, and really taken a lot from that. Hmm. Would, would you say there was like an article that you're most proud of or something that sticks out to, to you during oh, your yes. years? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I have an immediate answer. Um, it's going to be my article on the Asian American elective here. Um, so I think the title of that article was A Million Different Ways to Be Asian. Um, and that was actually a quote that I got from Ms. Oberfield, who teaches that elective and is the only teacher for it. Um, so I think I'm really, I'm really proud of it because I interviewed so many people and I really could tell just how much they love the class. And also um, it taught them how to embrace their culture. And it's really the their first opportunity to embrace their culture and write about it instead of writing, um, fabricating a story that they might not exactly know just because they don't know how, what it's like to write about their own stories. Um, and I think the class was really nice because Ms. Oberfield invites these playwrights um, who perform the um, the plays that the students write for the class. Uh -huh. it, it, right. Um, and I sat in on one of them, and it's really nice to kind of bridge literature and art um, because I think that's definitely something that we don't see often in school. Um, but ever since writing that article, um, Ms. Oberfield has also invited me on um, plays that she takes her classes to. And I think it's just a great break away from, you know, the academic setting and just learn more about Asian American actors in the industry. Yeah. As uh, an, yeah. Sorry, go yeah. ahead, Alan. Oh, no, I was just going to ask about, like, um, can you just like run us through like the general logistics of an issue and then, uh, like newspaper issue and then, you know, how it starts, how each article starts, like the lifespan of an article and then how it gets published. And then also like, where do you print it, et cetera. Yeah. Like, but like take us behind the scenes cause you know, we get an end product, mm -hmm. but you know, what's the, how does that yeah. come to be? And also how do you like archive everything, et cetera. Yeah. It's not as complicated as you, it seems. It's really pretty, like simplistic, but also like an efficient machinery that works behind the scenes to make us who we are. I feel like all departments, or most departments, I should say, generally start with what, something called PasteUp, which is basically just a Google group. Which I frankly, personally, think Google Groups is somewhat of an outdated medium. But there's not a better alternative, which Slack. is surprising. You'd think that. Doesn't you Slack think cost it's not the same? Slack no, it's free. free. Yeah. I love Slack. Very Slack is free, but it's more of a messenger yeah, exactly. like replacement than a Google Groups mm -hmm. replacement. Like, 
so that thing I Monday? Always see, I always see ads for like Monday on the yeah. subway or whatever. Anyway. Oh, yeah, Monday. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Back to you. Sorry. <laughs> so, like, we've kind of looked into alternatives, but pretty unsuccessfully, and we, we've still use Google Groups or paste up, and we kind of hope that Google gets around to updating that, but that's kind of tangential. But Google, like, paste up is really just a forum for writers to suggest ideas. They kind of just write, like, paragraph-long article outlines that discuss what they want to write about, and then the editors just go through that and decide which articles they have space for, because there's a limited amount of space. We would like to publish every writer, every issue, but unfortunately, that's just not logistically possible. And so editors are tasked with choosing which articles to write and which to not. Once a paste up is chosen, the editors just assign the de- like deadlines for to the writers, and the writers get the article done by the deadline, at least hopefully. <laughs> and then the editors just edit it once. The EICs edit it one time as well. The EICs, res- oh, uh, editor in chief. Yeah. Sorry, so, sorry. so you go through every article. That's so published. we do. So mm-hmm. there, each article goes through, through round, two rounds of editing. So there's a first, like they write the article. The editors and the editors-in-chief edit it, and then the writer responds to those edits. And once that happens, there's a second round of editing, which is not as diligent, because the idea is that by a sec- the second round of editing, the article is pretty much flawless in terms of content, it, and it just has some minor stylistic or sentence errors that we fix. The first round is really meant to kind of get at those like detailed and more complicated stylistic edits, and those edits the writer's address themselves, whereas for the second round of edits, the editors and the editors-in-chief just go through the article and kind of hard edit themselves, as in like they type the things out instead of doing it in suggest mode. Once an article has been edited for the second round, then goes to the copy department, which just checks it another time to make sure that there are not typos or or any kind of factual inaccuracies in terms of like the names that we have, like if somebody's interviewed in the article, we want to make sure that the name is typed correctly because it's a matter of professionalism. As much as we do get criticized for having typos, there's really a very extensive process to make sure that they don't happen. And it, we do get very unhappy when they do. And we do actively try to reduce them. Right. And once the copy department has edited an article, they move it to a folder called Scene by Copy. And at that point, the layout process begins, which is the process by which the paper is literally put on paper. It's like our, all the articles are originally in Google Docs and the layout department is tasked with moving those Google Docs, moving the text, and making it presentable to the reader. In like the spec, and they create what you see, what you pick up at the stand. Is that done on a specific program? It's done on InDesign, which is like a Adobe. Adobe, exactly. So they do that, and after that, we just send it to the printer, which is in Queens, I believe. School Paper Express. It's a school paper. It's upstate. It's upstate. Mm -hmm. It's a pay. And third-party printer, we don't have our own, unfortunately. We pay them, and they ship it and print, and that's what happens. Mm-hmm. So there's definitely, like, a lot of terminology um, behind this entire thing. Like Arna mentioned, paste-up. Um, certain certain requirements are really important in paste-up, not only, like, the article topic, but also it's important that the writers put photo and art requests, because without them, um, we would have a really boring-looking paper. I um, mean, over our experience as editors-in-chief, we realized that, we do really need to emphasize visuals in the newspaper because that's what draws students to the articles. And obviously people want their articles to be read and especially the ones that we want to draw attention to. Um, so we want to foster like really strong communication between the non-writing departments and the writing departments. 
um, simply because we work together as like one unit, um, which is why it's also important to have everything ready for the layout editors because sending night can be really stressful, um, especially because recently it's been going into like the ungodly hours, like after midnight. Um, but in addition to having articles ready and also the arts and the photo, we want to have also the business ads. And the business ads are really important because if we mess up and let's say don't print an ad in an issue or we print it, unfortunately, in the humor section because apparently many companies don't want their ads to be in the humor se- section, which is understandable, um, we could potentially lose that company. Um, and because we are independently funded, we don't receive funding from the administration. Um, we do have to make sure that the amount that we have in our banks stays at that level or even goes higher. Um, and funding is also really important for outside of the newspaper purposes, like apparel um, and our annual trips to like the Crimson Conference um, every year in March. And what else? Anything like that. The Crimson Conference, what's, what's that? Oh, yeah. Um, the Crimson Conference is a conference hosted by the Harvard Crimson, which is their daily newspaper. Um, and we go, they have seminars. Um, so it starts at like 9 a.m., let's say. And every hour or so, we go to a different sen- seminar and learn about the different parts of journalism, like um, especially as journalism becomes a more digital um um, becomes more digital. We learn about data journalism um, and also having a strong online presence, which is why like, we recently revamped our website so that it's just It looks easier. nice. Oh, yeah, the but, website is amazing. Oh, yeah, definitely. Thank you, Darius. Um, yeah, we learn about data journalism. We also learn about, let's say, how to write an investigative piece and how to just be careful when, let's say, granting anonymity to sources. Um, and it's just really nice to learn from a college newspaper because there's just so many things that we can incorporate. I definitely know that our opinions editors, um, Michael and Jonathan, they've drawn inspiration from what they learned at the Crimson Conference and incorporated some of those um, aspects of the college newspaper into our own. Um, I'm not sure about the specifics. Do you know about that? Could you like clarify the question? Like, What specifics as to like what we learned from the Harvard Crimson? What Michael and Jonathan specifically? Because I know I, that they kind of alluded to the, the Michael and a lot. Michael Dektar and Jonathan Schneiderman, Michael Dektar being a senior, Jonathan Schneiderman being a junior, they both came back from the Harvard Crimson Conference having went attended the opinions writing seminar. And I think that was the same seminar I once attended as an opinions editor. And the year that they attended, which was this year, they came back wanting to create a more personal focus for the opinions department because traditionally opinions has been a very political and kind of stat-heavy department, which is great, but also turns off a few readers and is not necessarily our forte as a student newspaper in that we're not ultimately, we're not like New York Times reporters making a full-time living based 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 off of our work. So we really have to kind of provide a unique student perspective on political issues. If we're to do that, we can't just kind of repeat what like other more well-established outlets do. And so what Jonathan and Michael decided to do to that end is to make opinions writing more personal. Try to, instead of writing about something distant in Washington, to write about something close, something in the halls of Stuyvesant that students can relate to. And they really have worked on doing that this semester. And they've made opinions more personal and kind of student-friendly department that is more than just a political analysis department. Yeah. So um, 
mentioning the like you know learning from these lectures um you know i always hear the term the 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 spectator class being thrown around can you talk more about that and then contrary to popular belief we don't gossip um but we do start off class every single day by just asking what's Mm -hmm. new around school either in school or let's say in um the political world um because we do live in a time where there is an impeachment hearing and in our next issue actually that hopefully is going to come out tomorrow um we did include a brief frequently asked questions section about the impeachment hearing so and it's definitely a convoluted topic so hopefully it'll just give a bit of more insight to an average size student who might not know a lot about politics um, to know what's going on in our country at this time. Um, so for after news, we discuss editorial ideas mainly, which is the first page that you'll see in the opinion section. It's basically a topic that the um, editorial board thinks that is relevant at the time. Um, sometimes that topic might be inspired by a conversation we have while talking about what's going on around in school. Um, like, for example, we had an editorial about the AP physics um, situation, but other times it might not be as time sensitive. Like we write about, the one we're gonna write about is um, about the transit system and how um, the commute plays such a strong role in our experience as thai students. And because the majority of us don't live here, it's really influenced how we dedicate time to let's say extracurricular on weekends um, and things like that. So we dedicate time to just brainstorming ideas on what to write for the editorial. Um, We also do these things called critique days, where obviously after every issue gets out, um, we try to spend a day or so critiquing our work. Um, And that also includes just saying what what went well, what didn't, and what we can do better. Um, Just to kind of simplify, Spectator class is an official class that exists. It's technically called advanced journalism. If you search it up on Talos, you'll find it. And its primary purpose is to ultimately serve as a forum for the spectator to convene and to decide what we want to do as an institution. So whether that be, as Amy said, talking about staff editorials, which are opinions pieces that we work on as a board, usually related to things going on around the school, or whether that be critiquing ourselves, trying to make ourselves a better paper and more accurate and prestigious institution, we kind of ultimately just use the spec class, as we call it more informally, to just run the paper. It's like the kind of the brain of the spectator where decisions get made, where we decide deadlines, where we decide what we want to do, where we decide how we want to spend our time as editors and where we want to. So is it work. just is it just editors that take the class? And Only editors take the class. Okay. Yes. Okay. But if like if any odd fellow like if say say if fellow. I say if I went <laughs> On Talos and requested advanced journalism. You wouldn't get it. Oh, yeah, the programming office asks us to send a list. I see, yeah. I mean, from these... exclusivity. Yeah, yeah, from these meetings you guys have, how many of the, like, ideas proposed and ideas published, like, what's the ratio like? Oh, you mean, like, for editorials? Oh, I think he's asking, like, how, like, how much do you, like, want to do versus how much do you actually get to do? Yeah. I think we try to kind of minimize that ratio as much as possible, get it as close to one as can be. And we do actively make an effort to do that. It's very easy to kind of spend a lot of time talking about ideas because there are many good ideas with a lot of merit. There's not just one way to move forward. There's not just one project to work on. But we do try to kind of narrow. We start with like a broad set of ideas in basically any discussion we do. 
as in we will have suggestions from multiple people on what we want to do, how we want to write, what we want to address, depending on what we're talking about in class that day. And then we'll like vote on it as an editorial board and narrow it down to one or two ideas. And eventually we'll just get down to one and then decide which one of those. Um, and then decide how to move forward with that idea. So ultimately, although we start with a lot, so that way a lot, like basically any idea anyone proposes gets a fair chance to be, to come to fruition, ultimately we are still productive and we basically have close to, I'd say, a one-to-one -one ratio of ideas to outcomes. Yeah, and some of the ideas proposed are kind of department specific, so it's also up to the editors to kind of incorporate that idea and um, let's say prepare for the next issue when they get the chance. Um, like for the photos department, they really advocated for um, having more videos online, and one being like the live streaming, um, the games, the sports games. Um, I think it's, that's a really effective way for students who don't have the time to go visit these, um, to go see these games, to see them online. Recently I watched a the volleyball one, I think it was that it was the last homecoming. Sorry, the last game that was um, at home. Um, other ideas are like for opinions. When you want to have, let's say, both sides of a of a topic, we encourage having point counterpoints or like shortly called PCPs. Um, because if you publish an article that just talks about one side of a topic, um, it kind of just gives a um, partial view of what that topic is about. So having point counterpoints is something that we want to increase doing. Um, and I know, like Artem, I think mentioned this, but opinions can sometimes be seen as a daunting um, section, mainly because it talks about things that maybe a lot of students aren't familiar with, which is why we encourage having more visuals, um, outquotes, just to change the layout a bit. Because I know the first thing that a student sees when they see the newspaper is exactly what it looks like. Um, so we want to kind of target that section specifically. So is opinions like sort of like a op-ed type of department where any student can submit a piece or is it more like you have writers that? Well, we have letters to the editor with, mm -hmm, right. and you could also submit articles as anyone really. You have to just email them to the spec opinions email, which you could put under the podcast if, right. at the end. But so there's a way for anyone and from anywhere to anonymously or not submit a piece, although they should know that if they do so anonymously, it has a smaller chance of being published because there's a higher chance that it's not credible because right. we have to take anonymous sources with a larger degree solid, of scrutiny. Yeah. So opinions is really, it is based on op-eds. It's written entirely by writers, but we do also so, uh, solicit submissions from other sources as well. And we actually would really, like what an effort we're working on is to try to get more letters to the editor and try to get more students to be involved in The Spectator. Yeah. yeah. Um, also, Features has this thing where they ask for submissions for their voices category, um, which is more like a personal essay. I think it's really close to a personal essay. Um, like we have one that's going to be published about um, a student's experience in the discovery program. So that's something that um, the student wrote herself and we usually don't make too much, too many edits on those because it is their own writing. Um, but I think voices and having letters to the editors are a really great way for student involvement in the newspaper outside of those who are already members. Um, and also the humor section. Um, they, I think, a few weeks ago, they invited a an an outside source to write an article for them. Um, I forgot his Twitter handle, but it starts with like lentils or something. But we basically, um, so yeah, it doesn't have to be just members and, and editors who publish things for the newspaper. Um, and I think it's just a great way to kind of increase the variety of the things that we have. 
Yeah. yeah. Do you want to just quickly run through like the departments that you have? And then I have another question about like. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There are 12 departments total and also the science section, which we recently um, um, revived. Um, so we have six writing departments plus the science section. So we have news, which um, covers all the sensitive, um, time sensitive uh, content. And then we have features. You're in the news department? Uh, no, I was just asking someone back there. Yeah, we have features, which is basically highlighting personal stories of, let's say, students and faculty um, and also alumni. And we also have opinions we talked about. We have arts and entertainment, which has a really rich amount of articles like you can be a film critic for, let's say, the newly released Netflix show. Um, or you can also talk about like the state of social activism. So it ranges. And we also have the humor section, and we have the sports department, um, and that just covers sports events. Um, and also anything going on in, let's say, the, actual, the real sports world. I think each department, it's also, we should note that each department is very unique, not only in terms of its content, but also in terms of its culture. The editor is obviously different, and the way they run their department is different. They run it based on the way they see fit. They have a lot of leeway in how they do that, and so that really creates a unique, like a variety of cultures that allows people who want to write for the spectator to choose which one they see themselves as best suited to. For and example, editors are chosen every year? It depends on if the editors that are currently there are outgoing. We right. need to, uh, like usually departments have at least two editors, and mm -hmm. if those two current editors are ju both juniors, let's say, and their terms are expiring. Like, an editor's term expires second semester senior year. Mm -hmm. So if they're, let's say, first semester seniors, like both opinions editors, for example, then if they when they like when their term expires, they'll need to find two replacements. So it depends on the number of outgoing editors. But we try to maintain like two to three. Constantly. Are are new editors chosen or voted? In? They're chosen. Mm -hmm. They're chosen by a group consisting of the editors, the former editors, the current like the current ones there, mm -hmm. as well as the editors in chief and the managing board on occasion. Right. Oh yeah. Um, so going back to the departments, so we have. Um, six departments plus one science section for writing. Um, but what's great about The Spectator is that obviously not everybody wants or likes to write. Um, so for those who are more interested in, let's say, the creative um, or visual aspect of producing a newspaper, so we have um, the photo department, the art department, the copy department, which checks for grammar and punctuation and things like that. Um, we also have the business department, which is really important for maintaining um, our bank account. Um, we also have layout, um, which lays out the paper. Um, we also have the web department. I think, am I missing any? Not that I know. And in total, how many members do you guys have? For to put a number Over on. 250, I would yeah. say. And we have about, um, about 30 to 40 editors. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly the most impressive operation yeah, at Stai. It's very interesting. I'd yeah. say... I'd say so in terms of scale, maybe, but ultimately it's really like a large assembly line that's really based on very simplistic steps, as simple as writing an, on a Google Doc, the same way you would for an English essay, and then just editing it, and then just submitting it to an editor via mm -hmm. email. Like it's a lot, and it's a very long process in the end, but ultimately it comes down to very simplistic steps, and there's kind of a beauty to that. Yeah. yeah. I, I was going to ask about like, you know, because you have issues every, is it by every two weeks? Yeah. Right. So, like, um, you know, I'm just interested in, like, what do you expect? How, like, so, first of all, I guess, how many people do you expect to read the newspaper? And then also, like, 
you know, I feel like a lot of people get the newspaper to toss it out, you know, in terms of like, I'm not saying it's a waste, but like, in, you know, I see what you mean. I yeah. Mean, well, our goal is to get everyone that's tied to read the newspaper. Right. I mean, we're ultimately a student institution that produces content for students. Oh, and, and, then, and then also, sorry, not to interrupt, sure. but like, you know, how do you feel about like maybe making a digital version? Because uh, I know you do post articles on, um, you know, your website, but mm-hmm. maybe like more frequently or like, you know, I, I know the New York yeah. Times has like a weekly daily newsletter. Um, you know, Miss Ingram sends yeah. like a weekly newsletter. I don't know, something like that, maybe. We floated the idea of a newsletter. A lot of candidates for the next editor-in-chief have floated, also suggested doing that. So that could come to fruition next semester. Also, the website is regularly updated, and we do have a digital archive on issue, which is like a PDF, right, which right. has PDFs on it. And just going back to something you said earlier about people who throw out the newspaper, frankly, <laughs> I'm not quite concerned about that because I think it reflects... It doesn't reflect in any way on our work. I right, think it exactly. reflects on the way they treat it. Yeah. Ultimately, I know for sure that we have talented writers and editors and layout editors as well who really w- do an excellent job producing what is arguably the best student-run newspaper in the city, if not the country. And I have no doubts that our work is of a great quality that we could take pride in. And I think the fact that people would throw that out is not only that just really reflects badly on their character, both in terms of financial wastefulness, as in they're throwing out something that people right. spent time raising ads to raise money for, but also just disrespecting the work of their peers. So I don't think it reflects badly on us in any way and really just reflects on their behavior or attitude. Yeah, I think that's very well said. You know, people like the New York Times, I bet there's a bunch of people who scoff at the New York Times and maybe, you know, throw it out if they get liberal a copy. Media. Yeah, yeah, liberal media. <laughs> But, you know, in the end of the day, the institution itself is what remains. Oh, yeah. Um, Well, I don't know. What I often think about is, like, you know how, like, the New York Times has an app or, like, you know, Slate or other, the Atlantic, say. Um, I don't know how possible an app would be. I'm not familiar with it. I got the same idea while you guys were talking about tech. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe, I know, like, every year it seems like more like smart people come to Stuyvesant with newer ideas and, you know, ComSci is growing at our school and, you know, the spec department is only going to get probably bigger and better. Like, do you think in the, not in the near future, like an app would be possible? My only qualm is like, not, not with the app, just in general, like as a member of Stuyvesant, it's like, I want to read the newspaper and I want to be able to spend time with every article, Mm -hmm. but it's, it's, um, you know, it's, first of all, Given the paper copy, it's it's not the easiest thing to carry around. Especially if you're going on the train. On the train, in exactly. The shower, definitely. Um, yeah, you can't. You can use the phone in the shower, not not the newspaper. <laughs> Very, good <laughs> um, Very good point. But um, you know, like just making and you know, I haven't been on the website recently. I'll admit, but um, is this a, like an idea you guys have been tossing around like an app? Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah, we wanted to increase our let's say Facebook and Instagram presence. Um, so I think toward the beginning, um, we wanted to kind of like every issue that's come that comes out, we want to have like on Instagram, for example, the New York Times does a really good job of this, where they have the photo or art related to that article and the caption. They have like um, a few sentences about what the issue um, is, and I think. I think in the beginning we kind of did that. Um, there are definitely articles that draw more readers than others. Um, like the front page especially is really important because um, you have the most pressing articles for the issue. Um, definitely for the article on physics, 
on AP Physics is a sham. That was the title. Um, I also remember like the Kung Fu Tea store shutting down. That was yeah. a really uh, wide read article. Um, so we, Arnim and I, choose which articles go on the front cover. We also coordinate this with the news editors and also what goes on the back. Um, and I think the issues that are that are thematic, like we have the sing issue, we have the spooktator, we have the disrespectator, those um, issues kind of draw more readers because they're a little bit more relatable. They're definitely more relatable, um, especially for sing. People want to know what we think about um how each show went and also we take really good photos that um if somebody wasn't there for the show they can also just catch themselves up and they're also like really i think they're prettier than normal because we print them in color those are reserved for like really special issues but we definitely want to increase our facebook and instagram presence um for reasons that alan has pointed out um the idea of an app is something that i've talked about with my web editor darius jankowskis a lot I think at the time he, we kind of agreed that it wasn't. I've always wanted to know how to pronounce his last name. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> I might have done it wrong. He could correct me in the comments under this podcast. Sorry, Darius, mm-hmm. if I did. But the point is that ult- ultimately we feel that an app, at least at the moment, I mean, again, there there'll be new editors in chief. There'll be a new web editor, and their attitudes could change. But at the moment, we feel that an app is not a good use of resources because, firstly, you need to make two versions: one for iOS and one for Android and you have to put on the App Store, which is very, from a coding perspective, va- rather difficult. And considering that the web department has limited resources and time, that's difficult to do. And more importantly, I think that the primary benefit of an app is that it's convenient and easy to look at every day. Like if you're, like I read the New York Times on the train every day and I use the app because it's convenient. That's what apps are really made to do. And because we're a bi-weekly paper that doesn't publish every day, that kind of primary benefit doesn't apply to us because our, there's no point in somebody checking the app every day to see if we upload new content because we generally upload content all at once at the end of every two weeks. So the, the fact that the primary benefit doesn't apply to us really and because it would take such a large amount of resources and time, we feel that an app is less is a worse use of our kind of efforts than improving the website, for example, or adding new features to that because it really serves the f- same function. It's still as accessible, really. It's just a few extra clicks on your browser instead of just one click on your home screen, hopefully on your home screen at right. least. But I feel we feel at the moment that working on the website and really adding new features to that, like such as infographics, for example, would be a better use of our time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's totally understandable. Yeah, e- like even without the app, though, or like relying only on the website, I, I do think that like digital forms of communication are playing like such a large role in what would you suggest uh, everyday life well, no, I, well I, I i think that like your live streaming uh of the sports games was a pretty good idea mm-hmm. um i will say that that i did watch one of them and won't name names but there were some weird comments um <laughs> yeah. i don't know i just they're just being silly but still um <laughs> i like i, I like the idea and um I I follow a lot of like sound engineering stuff online and a lot of uh, church venues they actually do live streaming um, and they invest in it super hard mm-hmm. um, so I don't know like I I do think that's a good idea and other things possibly I definitely I think like going digital is something that we should focus on and improve on um, for as long as as, as this back continues. Um, 
I think one good reason for doing that, especially if we're pressed for space in the actual physical copy, we can always print um, writers' articles online. Um, even though that's not the same thing, it's still a way to get that to get it out there, um, and you reach more people digitally anyway. Um, but I also think that the spectator can't exactly run by itself, and I mean that like I think collaboration between the spectator and other clubs is really important. Has contributed to a lot of new additions to the newspaper um, like we did the puzzle club um, and even though like the first few tries the crosswords were blurry I think just having that initiative is really important and it's just a different f- kind of appearance to the newspaper right. um, and I think having let's say the podcast times the spectator um, can really help with live streaming better quality videos um, because I know they're a little bit shaky right now. But we did also interview the um, Bazoe Oppenheimer and Matt Malucci, who are our photo, two of our photo editors. Oh, um, I saw that. Yeah, the, the they freshman interviewed the freshman president, right. president and vice president. Um, I think just having videos like that um, of people who are, of topics that are important to this to the public, um, it's just a really great addition. And I think going digital is super important. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, we have the new podcast, Speculation, which I recommend. I like the name. Thank you. We were just talking about it. it, Well, I guess the spectator lends itself to a lot of puns. It's one of the benefits of our name. The spectator. Like, remember that one? Yep, exactly. Thank you, Talia. So (laughs) I definitely recommend that you go and check that out. Definitely worth your time. And it's a more opinions-based podcast, right? It is, but it also has, like, it includes discussion of school-related issues. It's not just the politics. And about the live streaming, I think... Firstly, I'd like to thank the SU for working with us on that. Like, they really worked. Like, th- I know the SU often gets a lot of flack, but I think this is something they really did an excellent job working on, and they really helped us get that to a stage where it was at least something resembling a good live stream. And I know we have work to do. It's a new project, and it's a new thing that we haven't really had experience with, but I think over time it will get better and better, and eventually it will look excellent. It'll look, it'll look like the presidential debates. Oh, yeah. well, that's the goal, I guess. Maybe we could keep aspiring, you know, like you yeah. shouldn't set a ceiling. I will say yeah. that it is really hard to have a live stream, like, rig outside or, like, even in a gym where, like, you know, you're not in a studio. So, mm-hmm. I, you know, I think it's, I like yeah. the work on it so far. I mean, like, broadly speaking, I think journalism is definitely more than just working from behind a desk and writing something. Um, there's so many more modes of discourse that we can go about doing it. Like the humor department has its own SoundCloud account. Um, I saw the mixtape, yeah. You saw the mixtape, yeah. Yep. That, that was really interesting. And um, we actually, one of our editors for the art and entertainment department actually interviewed the humor editors and um, kind of just explained the thought process behind it. But videos, accounts like those, we also... In spec class, um, we invite, um, we try to invite journalists like who work, let's say, for the New York Times or um, just in other publications to our class because we really, the best way to kind of improve our own abilities as editors and as journal- student journalists is to just see how it's done in the real world. And I know journalism can be seen as a really unstable field sometimes. You might need to know a lot of connections or um things like that, or you have to like work side jobs or to kind of success to succeed in the journalism field. Um, but it's always nice to hear um, how people work in the New York Times or in other publications. So yeah. that's been really a really good experience. And I wanted to ask you guys about this. I know it's kind of sure. digressing, but I think a, a month ago, you guys invited a New York Times um, writer. I think her name is Eliza Shapiro. She writes a lot about 
I think that's her name. Um, yeah, she is. writes a lot about like the New York City education system. And I guess a big topic now is the standardized high school test. And I know uh, the spectators wrote, written about it. And, you know, a lot of students have actually contributed columns, I would say, to actual big publications. Um, what do you guys think the spectator and, you know, Stuyvesant's own student body's voice into this issue, like the potential that we have to like raise discussion about it? When Eliza Shapiro came to spec class, one of the things she told us was that we're, quote, sitting on a gold mine. And I think there's a lot of merit to that. We're very lucky to be set, like kind of centered on Stuyvesant, which is obviously the school at the center of this whole controversy over the SHSAT and whether or not it represents, a f it gives everyone in New York a fair chance at admissions to specialized high schools. And the fact that we're Stuyvesant students who are all here via the SHSAT, that means that almost all of us have at least pretty strong opinions on it. I think it's one of the political subjects that is most salient at Stuy. It's one of the mo ones that almost, like, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find someone with no knowledge or thoughts about it. And that's what makes gives us a unique opportunity to really comment on it, especially because in the grander scheme of things, because we are the Stuyvesant School newspaper and we like to think the voice of the student body, our opinion matters perhaps more than that of some person walking down the street in Tribeca because we are the students who are most affected, arguably, by the changes being proposed. And that gives us a unique opportunity to both connect and have an impact with on the outside world, while also providing interesting commentary from people with firsthand knowledge of the workings of the SHSET and Stuyvesant. Oh, yeah, yeah. definitely. Like, um, we... So we published, um, last year's board, we published the Undercurrents magazine. And I know the SHSAT um, and admissions test can often be like a topic that can be talked about um, for many years to come. Um, and sometimes they might be more relevant than other years. Um, but I think the spectator and newspaper publications, they have the job of starting conversation or at least continuing the conversation. Um, just to bring it into public light. So for the Undercurrents magazine, there was this one article that that focus on the SHSAT and just brought in anecdotes from students here, students in other specialized high schools, um, from parents, from teachers, from faculty. So I think just that diverse group of people um, and what they have to say about it really gives an average student um, a better idea of of people's reactions to this thing that is affecting their lives um, and is the thing that got them into Stuyvesant in the first place. So we want to present as many sides as possible. Um, and because we have the abilities and the resources to do that, I think it's so important that we just, we ask people for feedback um, because it's ultimately going to have a really profound effect. I also think that it's important to note that the SHSAT debate is a very complicated debate that gets painted in a very simple way a lot of the times. It's very easy to take a very partisan and simplistic view on it. And indeed, I'd say that's not uncommon for people across New York City. And I think because we are at Stuyvesant it's, and because we want to connect with students and really help them understand the world around them, we have a unique opportunity to also make sure that they like understand the complexities and the nuances of the issue besides having a black and white view, which is what tends to be a big issue in New York City politics in general. You could, you've kind of seen this with all the protests and the controversy that the proposal, that de Blasio's proposal has created. 
And we really want to make sure that Stuyvesant students are politically engaged and also politically aware. And I think the fact that we're the Stuyvesant student newspaper really gives us a unique opportunity to do that. And I think like it's our job. Like if we're if we know a lot about something, um, is to write it in a way and to present it in a way that, um, in layman's terms, basically, in a way that is easily digestible, is easily um, understood. And I remember um, in a few issues back, Ju- Julian Giordano, he um, we included an annotated his annotated version of Bill de, Bla- um, de Blasio's proposal for the SHSAT um, amendments. And I think with just boiling down a really convoluted topic, like, let's say, the impeachment hearings into, let's say, um, easy, easily understood um, bullet points or sentences, I think that's really important um, because these things are just so complicated. And even I don't know a lot about politics myself, um, but just hearing the editors in class who know more about the topic, but who are also able to explain it in ways that I can understand it, that's something that I think we should carry on to the student body. Yeah. Uh, how, uh, so you guys are in English classes right now, right? Yeah. Yeah. We're all in English classes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> do, you, do you think that English teachers over the years have held you guys being editors in chiefs, editors in chiefs, um, or, you know, like other editors, do you think they're held to sort of a higher standard maybe mm-hmm. in terms of writing, class participation, et cetera? I wouldn't say so. I, I, like, I think we've, they've known who we were before we entered class because of our title, but I don't think they've treated us differently based on it, which I think is correct. That's the way it should be. And I'm right, kind of, mm-hmm. I, should, I kind of want to commend the teachers. I've had Mr. Henderson, Ms. Stusen, Ms. Manning, who have really been objective and fair in their treatment of, uh, of me. I know Amy had different teachers. And I don't really think it played a role. I think, like... It sometimes came up in class discussion, but very rarely, and it was not in any way like a hindrance or a benefit. It was really mm-hmm. largely in- neutral. It didn't impact the way I engage with my English classes. I agree. Um, I think also it's just also just another guess, topic for a conversation. Like I've talked to my English teachers and also non-English teachers, um, like my history teachers, about journalism because... I think they're just such closely related subjects. Um, but to be able to hear about what they have to say about our material and our publication, um, it it only is relevant in that area, and I don't see any um, different treatment or anything like that. Definitely. That's actually like a good point. Like the, the fact that English teachers are generally more engaged with the spectator than, let's say, the math department is, which is understandable. Right. The English and the social studies departments are generally very heavy readers who f- closely follow what we write. And because of that, they're in a uni- better position to give us feedback and help, not just as teachers, but as like faculty that engage with our content. And I think that helps make, make us a better paper and makes us better leaders and individuals as well. Mm-hmm. Have you taken things from like your English classes and like brought them over to maybe your own writing for the spectator? Mm-hmm. I think it's hard to kind of pinpoint a specific thing. I've definitely, as I've read more books and seen more writing styles and seen more vocabulary, I've definitely incorporated that into my writing. If I ever saw a writer use a phrase that I thought was appealing, I would sometimes use that in my writing or language at one point. 
it's very hard. Like the thing with English class is that there's not a specific skill you could pinpoint. I think English really teaches you a broad set of skills that are kind of universally applicable, particularly to writing and the humanities. And I think those skills, such as public speaking, learning to critically evaluate the content you're exposed to, and really just making sh- like grammar, style, things like that, and like keeping a reader uh, like in- engaged with the writing that you're producing. Those skills are very universal and they're applicable to the spectator, but they're not just applicable to the spectator, they're applicable beyond that, and that's something that really makes English class unique at STI. Also, I think that like a lot of our articles and the ideas behind them um, are more inspired by what we observe and also the dynamics of, let's say, organizations and other institutions. Um, like in the Urban Currents magazine, um, one of our news editors, Erin, um, she wrote about where all the girls in math team. So we can always just... So they don't necessarily come from, let's say, a topic um, that we learn in our English class or other classes, um, but just what's relevant and what's um, important to write about. Um, and that often comes from ex- outside of class obs- obs- observations. Yeah. I think, uh, are, we, are we nearing an hour right now? We are nearing an hour, yeah. Okay. We and have episode limits on yeah. our time. Oh, yeah. Anyway. Um, it flowed by really well, though. It yeah. doesn't feel like Do you have any other questions that you didn't ask? I'm trying um, to so. Sure. Um, I have this one question that I kind of wanted to start with, but I think it's kind of fitting that we might end with it. Um, do you remember your very first article that you wrote for The Spectator? And give, give us some thoughts on it. Yeah, I do. I, it was a very memorable experience because I was very excited. I was a second ter- semester freshman who was ecstatic that his work was finally published, especially having been rejected on my first attempt, really getting that in. I wrote, I co-wrote an article, I believe it was called Passing Up PC, PC stood for political correctness, and it was, I co-authored it with Mia Guinness, who was a friend of mine at the time, and that was... At the time? At the time. Well, (laughs) that's a true statement. At the time, she was a friend of mine at the time, and... Miss Patrick cameo. <laughs> Did you want to just like go back a few sentences? So, so I co-wrote an article called "Passing Up PC." PC being political correctness, with me again, this a senior now, and at the time we were both freshmen and we are friends. And that was a great experience because not only did you write with a friend about a topic you're interested in for an institution you're proud to be part of, but because it really taught you, like as you engage with the issue, as you did the research for the article, it really made you better. Like it taught me things. And my opinion actually somewhat changed throughout the course of the article. I didn't start, like as I did more research, I changed and that really was unique and really kind of, it was a great way to be introduced to spec. And I I still remember that because it was the start of a great career and something I'm really proud of. I'm not sure, like looking back at the article, of course it was written by a freshman, it was written by a different person two or three years back, but I th- still take pride despite in, despite now kind of viewing it in a worse light perhaps because as like as a senior I've become more critical, I've, I hold myself to a higher standard of course than I would have as, as a freshman. I do still view the article with pride because it's good work, like ultimately I'm, I put an effort and I, it really kick-started a great career, which I'm proud of. Yeah, I definitely agree. Like, um, people say that the Spectator is kind of like a his, like a scrapbook for our experiences here. Um, and I don't remember my first article, but I can remember the ones um, a few. 
Um, one of them, I think I wanted to interview seniors about any regrets that they had um, by the time that they were seniors. Um, another one, I think I wanted to interview freshmen. So when I was a freshman, I wanted to interview my fellow classmates um, and kind of get their thoughts on their experience at Sky so far and follow them over the years. So like every year I would check in with them. Um, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, that never came to fruition, but I think that's definitely, it, it's an evergreen topic, so it's not time sensitive. We can always do it again, um, which is why I love the features department and what it does. Um, and w the other article that I remember is just a club profile. So describing what a club does um, and how it came into founding. And it was these, I think it was called the Semper Eternal Club. Um, it was it was founded by Alex Whittington, who graduated, I believe, two years ago. Um, and that was my first experience really interviewing somebody and writing about what they did in school. Um, but it's really crazy because for that um, freshman to senior article, um, the people who I interviewed, one of them being Debbie Saha, I really didn't know her, her at the time, but now like we have English class together and I know who she is and, we talk, and we're friends. Um, so it's just really crazy how over four years, someone's name can mean so much more than just a face and somebody in style. Um, so going back to your article that we wrote as freshmen and just seeing how much time has passed is a really great thing. It really is. I mean, I look. I have an archive on the website, like all writers do, of the articles I've written, and I look back on them sometimes, and it's pretty incredible. I remember when I was applying for editor of opinions, I talked. One thing I put on my application was that I wrote thirteen articles in eleven issues, or something like that. And I really, to this day, I think I've written sixteen or seventeen, which is pretty good considering I spent two of those three years as an editor and editor in chief, which doesn't lend itself to writing articles often. But the fact that I have such a long record and the fact that I could, I've been able to look at my work and see how it's changed and see how my writing style has changed and improved and see how even my opinions have changed. Like I look at some of my older articles and I'm, I tell myself, I look at them and I'm like, no, this is not what you believe in anymore. This is not correct. Not in, to say that they are wrong or misinformed articles, but just that over time, as you get older, as your views change and become more informed, you look at things differently. That's not like a criticism of my freshman self. I think I did a great job on those articles. It's just saying that over time you change. And that has also been true for the, in the way that I view my work. And I think that's true for most spec writers. You really, by the time you finish your career as a senior, you really look back on the work you've done, your archive on the website, which is there forever, really, unless you want it removed, which you can do if you want. In fact, like if you search most spec writers up on Google, the first thing that comes up is there style spec like archive and good I think that's college good for college I guess so <laughs> so I guess that's a benefit I didn't really think about but that's pretty incredible you have like a permanent archive a kind of almost a journal of your work of your like the way you were as back then and the way you are now and that's a great thing to look back on and reflect on and it's really unique to spec mm -hmm. because you have a tangible archive like a tangible collection of your work that you can really analyze and think about and reflect on because it was some of the best time like writing for the spectator is an incredible experience and definitely one of the best things I ever did at Stai and it's incredible I'd recommend it to anyone interested yeah and it also like, extends to alumni um, who um, want to see um, the articles that they are being written about and that's why also one like going digital is really important because we can't send them often can't send them the physical copy so we send them the pdf um, that we uploaded on issue um there was one this one thing i did when i was a features editor which is reaching out to um previous editors who have now pursued journalism so they're in their like mid-20s um who are now 
fresh and young into the journalism field. And for one of them, I actually sat down for coffee with one of them. Um, and she cited her time at Inspec as being um, really the Kickstarter for her career in journalism. So I think just the impact that we have and extracurriculars that we do at um, Stein and, and how it really kind of impacts us and our decisions that we make in college and beyond um, is a really... It's a really inspirational thing. Um, and I definitely will continue doing journalism and the newspaper in college. Mm-hmm. And I'm not really sure about beyond. Um, but just knowing that I will have something that I have experience in and will definitely learn a lot more about because it's in such a big setting. Um, I'm really excited for that yeah. next chapter of my life. And as seniors, like college is just... I think behind every article there's also a story. And the ri- only the writer who wrote it sees that really. Because, like, I look back at some of my articles and I remember the time and place where I wrote them. I remember the circumstances under which I wrote them. I remember if I had, like, a test the next day. And that really kind of stands out. Like, you really look at your articles and they remind you of your time at Stye and they remind you of how things have changed since then. And that's really something that's emotionally salient and interesting to think about. Yeah. I mean, going back to your idea of, like, you, like you go to school and you take all these classes and the idea is that these classes will probably help you choose your career. But it's more, more often the case that your extracurriculars, no matter what you do, like let's say robotics or like oh, research definitely. or like journalism, Voice and sound. <laughs> like that's and what sound. kind of pushes you to deciding what you want. You know, and I think, you know, going, I mean, the idea of do you, you two, you said you wanted to do, Amy. Yeah, uh, in college, yeah, college. I wanted to write for her. Do you want to do college? I do, absolutely. I wouldn't say that it's my first career choice purely because of practicality as much as I'd love to be an op-ed writer as a professional it it's not necessarily the most practical from a financial point of view or even from just a career point of view because it's very Thanks, hard to become an established <laughs> no I believe there. in you I'm just saying like it, it's hard to make it in the journalism industry and make That's it true. like mm-hmm. the big time is very hard to get to like it's a dream of mine to one day write an op-ed for the New York Times maybe we'll see if I ever get there I do see myself writing op-eds, writing blog posts on a personal blog, contributing to my college newspaper. And even again, like if I ever become a respected professional in whatever I do, I'll definitely love to pitch in into like an established organization or even an unestablished one, like a startup or something new. As, like, as long as I feel that my voice on an issue is relevant or worth he- sharing with society at large. I do love writing op-eds. It's not necessarily a career, though. It's something. It's a passion. It's an interest and a hobby. But perhaps from a practical point of view, it's not possible. Yeah. I mean, I'll say this: um, there's these jobs, these positions are going to be filled. You know, there's going to be new journalists, and you know, you guys say this might be the best student-run newspaper in the country, maybe even the world. I don't know. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> maybe that's a stretch, but you know, I definitely would say best in the city. Um, like we there's did have g- somebody from like Australia, I think. Yeah, who, reach out to who, us yep. and was like um, complimenting the spectators. So that was really cool. Yeah, mm-hmm. like if someone is gonna do this job, you know, it might as well be people and people who have experience. And you know, if the passion continues throughout the rest of your life, like you know, why not? You know, who knows? I mean, I'm not clairvoyant, but it's possible. I, d- I wouldn't rule it out. I'm just yeah, just not set on it, perhaps. But yeah. it's definitely something I consider if the opportunity ever arose. And I hope it does. All right. I think we'll yeah, want to wrap up. Yeah, you guys sure. have any last parting thoughts? I do want to say that we've, I've personally been very lucky to have gotten as far as I did when I joined as, joined the Spectator as a writer. I did not expect to make it this far. I was not even 
particularly interested in journalism or even knowledgeable about it. I was a writer who just wanted to write political op-eds, and I did that. But in the process, I also developed a passion for journalism. I also learned how to interview, how to cite anonymous sources, and a lot of other kind of useful skills that will come in handy in the future. And I think that's a very important part of my spec experience. I'd also like to give a shout-out to everyone who's made that experience possible, including my co-editor, Eliza Spina, who I mentioned before. And I'd also like to say that the administration, like I, working with the spectator has really changed my view of the administration. I know as a student, it's very easy to view them as detached bureaucrats, which to some extent it holds water, like that argument that the school, school officials are detached bureaucrats. I think that's kind of the a necessary aspect of the job because they can't be like they can't be privy to student complaints really they're adults from a different generation who can't necessarily always understand what's going on but at the same time I feel like I've really grown more nuanced in my view of the administration strain away and gone away from that view really because having worked with people like Dr. Haber Principal Contreras and others I've really come to see that they genuinely care about the school. They're genuinely, genuinely passionate about the work they do. And as much as sometimes we may lose sight of that with the AP physics controversy being a recent example, the administration really does have our best interest at heart. And it's really a very good organization that's not only helped develop me and help create a good style experience for me, but also something that creates the conditions for journalistic freedom. I mean, something we take for granted is that we do have a spectator at all, that we have our own class to kind of work with, work and do things as a board. Those are privileges ultimately. Like we, could, there are school newspapers that the administration, that other, there are school newspapers in other schools that the administrations there try to shut down, that the students don't respect, that are, it's very hard to ultimately to run a student newspaper. And the fact that I've been able to come in and establish myself in an existing institution with a hundred year history, which is also not only tolerated, but encouraged by the administration, which really kind of incentivizes us to do our best work and doesn't try to shut us down at any point. That's incredible. And I think that's unique to Stuyvesant and something that is worthy of pointing out and worthy of knowing. Um, let's just say that doing this podcast makes me very excited to write my senior portrait, um, which I understand can be like a l really long thing. Um, but um, I think a podcast is really different because the questions are um, asked of us spontaneously. So I'm excited to kind of just sit down and think about my time here at Stuyvesant. Like I definitely am a very different person compared to um, who I was coming in. And I think that's definitely for the better. And wherever I end up going in life, however philosophical that is, um, I hope that I continue learning from other people um, and meeting so many great people that I have had the chance to at Starvesend. Um, so there's that. It's pretty incredible to think that even 10 years from now, like our names will still be on the list of editors-in-chief of The Spectator and that the fact that our like legacy will really outlive us like we'll be by the time we're like 30 or 40 the work we did here will still be in the archives will still be looked at by future Stuyvesant students at least we hope so assuming like nothing happens to the building or the archive but <laughs> <laughs> oh Javed is like Javed I'm worried we should like that seems like an arson threat but no, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Just some food for well, thought. At least it's online. It is online. That's yeah, I guess true. that's one of the benefits of having a website. And I ultimately I think the f like the fact that we've been here, that we created a legacy, and that the spectator provided us with the means to create a legacy is incredible. And I, I strongly encourage 
anyone at Stuyvesant, whether you're a senior, junior, sophomore, freshman, to apply and do join the excellent community we have. I mean, perhaps I'm biased in a way in that I've spent most of my time at Stuy in the spec community, but the fact is that the spec, it includes some of the most talented people whom I've ever had the pleasure of working with for like, like Jonathan Schneiderman, Maddie Anderson, Aaron Leaf, like just three shout outs off the top of my head, all me members of the managing board. So that's why they came to mind first. But ultimately so many people at Stye and in the spectator are talented and the fact that I've been given the opportunity to work with the, them and really maximize our talents is incredible and something I wouldn't have had at any other school. And it's one of the things that makes me thankful that I came to Stye and thankful that I've, I am who I am today. All right, well, that All right. was very nice. Thank you for having us. Thanks we so appreciate much. it. Yes, thank you for we'll coming We'll be glad on. to come on again anytime. Yes. It was great. All right. Alrighty. So thank you. Thank if you've you. listened this far, thank you very much. Um, please tell us how you found the episode. And uh, besides that... Do you, do you want to leave, like, links to... Like a shout-out or something? Sure, absolutely. Do you have the Sty The Sty Spec website and the... I believe we had the Sty... Uh, the Speculation, the Opinions podcast as well. Okay. Do, do listen to that. It's an yes. excellent podcast. And you can probably also find face find this stuff on Facebook, Instagram. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, cool. All right, guys. All right.